0: We're grateful to have our friends at Sleep Number sponsoring the Thrive Global podcast. Discover the Sleep Number bed that adjusts on each side. It's perfect both for you and your partner. With their Sleep IQ technology at your fingertips, you'll know just what to adjust to get your best sleep. Does your bed do that? Check them out at sleepnumber.com thrive. Welcome to the Thrive Global Podcast. Today, we have a powerhouse of a guest, though he hardly needs an introduction in case you've just woken up from a 20-year coma. Mark Cuban is the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, Landmark Pictures, Magnolia Pictures, he's chairman of AXTV, and of course, he's a shark on Shark Tank, currently in its eighth season and the first shark we've ever had on the podcast. now, Mark, people think of sharks as being scary and mean, which you are definitely not.
1: Oh, come on now. <laughs> what a way to start me off and ruin my rep.
0: But the way you do everything seems to be a little bit like um, a shark in that you never stop moving. Right. And that you pride yourself at getting this done. hmm So... What does it take to get this done? It sounds better with a Greek accent, right? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it does. yeah, you're right. I could probably get away with it more, saying it more if I had that accent. Um, <laughs> it means to be prepared. You know, it means to have done your homework. It means to be knowledgeable so that when you walk into a situation, you feel confident that you can get this shit done. You know, um, it's when you just wing it, when you aren't prepared, when when you're uncertain. That's where when when things grind to a halt. And so, I mean, you know, there's lots of sayings about being prepared. But literally, I think I try to be the most knowledgeable person in the room when I walk into a room, when it comes to my business, when it comes to my industry, when it comes to the deal I'm doing.
0: And, you know, when you answered um, the Thrive questionnaire, which is one of our features on Mm -hmm. Thrive Global, one of your answers has been endlessly discussed by our community. And that is your answer to meetings. The fact that you said that you don't take meetings, right? And whether it's in person, unless or, you write me a big check, or on the phone, unless somebody writes you a big check. If so, you write me
1: a big check, I'll show up <laughs> anywhere. I even might wear a suit.
0: So, um, when did you make that decision, and what prompted it?
1: Well, I made the decision after I could afford to make that decision. <laughs> <laughs> when I was investing more than receiving, but um, I think I started using email. Well, let me take a step back. My very first company was a company called Micro Solutions, And what segregated us and made us successful was, and this was in the early 80s, we were the very, one of the very first companies to do um, local area networks. So when people were just getting used to using PCs, we were connecting them together into networks. And part of that was um, enabling messaging systems so that you didn't have to pick up a phone, you didn't have to do a meeting. You could send a message on old-school emails. Uh, So I I was using and installing email or messaging way back when. Then I got involved on CompuServe, and um, that's who we sold our company to. And, you know, they didn't really have true email, but I was able to extend more globally. And you realize very quickly that, you know, the power of collaboration – and the ability to work asynchronously is very powerful. You know, if if I was working late, I could answer an email. I could, you know, it allowed me to be far more responsive. It allowed me to, you know, really dig into my thoughts on the topic. It allowed me to do research, you know, as opposed to being in a meeting where there's time constraints, there's social constraints, um, there's politics, you know, particularly in a company, everybody tends to take a role and they slide into it. And so it, it allowed me really to avoid those things and, and communicate with more people. And then it became a habit. And then I got to the point where I kind of had more leverage than the people <laughs> calling the meeting. and And then it became very valuable to me.
0: But how do you handle the overwhelming feeling that so many of us get from unanswered emails, <laughs> the kind of the inbox problem.
1: I guess I go through too many, so many emails, I've kind of become immune to that. I mean, literally, I carry two phones, one Android, one Apple, so I have access to apps from both. And one's on AT&T and one's on T-Mobile, and I actually have a Verizon phone. With access, I'm always available. I can always communicate. And the way I structure things, I think, is a little bit different as well. If you work for me, or if you're an investor, or if I'm an investor in one of your companies, then I want to get weekly or bi-weekly or monthly reports, whatever we need. But it's always bad news first. Yes. It's never just give me all the the song and dance, and we did this, and we hired this person who's amazing. I assume you're going to do well. That's why I invested in you. I assume you're hiring amazing people. That's why you hired them. But where I can add value is by dealing with the problems. Mm -hmm. And so... Hit me with the bad news first. Let me try to help you in any way I can. And then, you know, I move on to the next one. And, you know, if I'm laying in bed watching a game, if if it's halftime of a Mavs game, that's when I'll do my emails because it allows me to disconnect from whatever other things that have my attention. And, and it actually works out really well.
0: So I'm obsessed with boundaries uh-huh. to um, my relationship with phones. Which means um, my boundaries like 30 minutes before I go to sleep, mm-hmm. I turn off my phones and charge them outside the bedroom uh-huh. in a little phone bed. In fact, I brought you one as a little gift. I appreciate that. We have a charging station, which might be good for your kids, which yes. looks like a phone bed. And the idea is that it lives outside everybody's bedrooms. So mommy's phone and daddy's phone and the kids' phones all go there. It That's has room great for idea. 10 ports.
1: What's even better is we make, my thir- we make our 13-year-old Alexis turn in her phone at 10 o'clock during weekdays and 11 o'clock on weekends so that that's
0: great just- so you already have boundaries yeah
1: absolutely which
0: is essential because now we're seeing the statistics that many teenagers sleep with their phones. And then they're tempted to be on Snap or texting or whatever all night, and they wake up exhausted. And we see exactly it. We see a real epidemic of mental health problems. Oh,
1: it's so it, it got so bad. So not only do we make her give her phone, but if she has a friend over who we can't necessarily take her phone. I have installed Cisco routers so that I have management software so it says what apps they're using so I can shut off their phone access to the Oh, yeah, I'm sneaky as can be. And and she hates it. That's the downside of having a geeky dad, you know? And and she knows
0: that. She knows what you're doing.
1: Yeah, because particularly with Netflix, like literally we... First, it was, okay, you have to earn your hours of Netflix, and I changed the password, and so you've got um, two hours of Netflix for every hour that you read, and that worked out really well until <laughs> one of her friends gave her her password, <laughs> and then I got kind of got preempted, right, and so I caught on to that very quickly, obviously, and then I introduced this. So, you know, I try to stay one step ahead, and, and it's good for me, too, because it keeps me abreast of all the new apps and all the new technologies.
0: That's fantastic. So that, another is one reason why sleepovers at the Cuban household are not as popular as they used to be. And uh, any other boundaries for you? Like any times when you say, I am not going to be on my phone?
1: You know, I think entrepreneurs go through a process. When I was all in and I was starting companies, I would dream about work. And literally, I'd wake up, and I'd have to do things. And you've been through that, right? Where it just consumes you. And I think entrepreneurs go through that process. Creative people go through that process. And as I kind of graduated to a different facet of my life, um, I, I really don't have a problem disconnecting because there's nothing that's so pressing. you know. So if I have something with my kids, not I, I'm not going to say 100% of the time. Right. Like, if I'm missing a Mavs game, I'm checking the score. You know, My <laughs> wife's getting mad at me. But- like before I go to bed, I can put my phone there and not worry about having to pick it up in the middle of the night and just get a good night's sleep. So, so you're
0: I, actually disciplined about not Yeah, touching. I'm pretty
1: good. Like if I go mm-hmm. work out or play basketball, I won't have my phone with me. And I, I don't feel like, oh, my goodness, I have to go check my phone every two minutes. If I'm sleeping six, seven hours and working out one hour, there, there's another 16 hours that right. I have access to my phone because I don't, I don't force myself to not carry it any other times.
0: But what is interesting now is that even though rationally we know that, um, a Google ethicist, Tristan Harris, just uh, did a 60 Minutes piece where he talked about how there are thousands of engineers whose job is to hook us. Oh, yeah. So that it's a little bit like the slot machine. Right. Well, they psychology. say when, when you
1: get a text or you get an alert, it's like you get a shot of dopamine. Right. Exactly. It's like drugs and people get addicted to it. And so, you know, particularly if there's something you're working on and you're waiting for an, you know, waiting for a response or you're dating somebody, you know, and, and you want it, you're waiting for a text back or, you know, in my case, I'm watching my daughter's phone to see if she's getting a text from a boy. And, you know, <laughs> there's, there's all kinds of little triggers that we have, and you're right. You have to learn to to really manage yourself because you can drive yourself crazy.
0: Well, that's really exactly what you described. They call the intermittent variable rewards, Mm -hmm. like with slot machines. So Mm -hmm. you never know when you're going to get the good hit.
1: Right, but it keeps you coming back. And so I find
0: it very interesting that you, who know so much about technology, you made uh, your first money in technology. And all my friends in the Valley who are in the middle of tech – they are much stricter with their kids. Yes. It's like they don't, it's like what they say, don't get high on your own supply.
1: That's <laughs> yes, exactly right. That's a great way to put it. No, you have to be, right? And the more you know about technology, the, the more experiences you've had and the more exposure you've had to the, the pluses and minuses. And obviously, you know, once you see the downside, you try to protect your children from it. I mean, I don't always protect ourselves from it, but we certainly want to try to, you know, put our kids in a good position.
0: But also we find how it gets in the way of our creativity. Yeah. Um, it's not sort of an accident that so many good ideas come in the shower, right? When we're disconnected. You know, I forgot. I, I had
1: about an hour a day to, to non-phone time in the shower. I'm, I'm horrible. Going back to when I was a kid, my dad used to yell at me for like, what are you doing? I uh, just think he did. Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So you literally have one hour showers?
1: Not quite, but yeah, It sometimes it seems like it. Yeah. You know, you shower in the morning, shower before you go to bed, right? Yeah. That's fantastic. Probably, probably 30 minutes. It all. Well,
0: actually, you know, um... A lot of the sleep science uh, recommends uh, showers or baths before you go to sleep Mm -hmm. because it has that psychological feeling of Uh, washing the day away and...
1: Uh, Yeah, just calming you
0: down. Calming down and having like a clear demarcation line Mm -hmm. because in our lives now, you can never say, I've done everything I could have done. Mm -hmm. So you need to declare an end to the day.
1: You know, and and I also have, it's, it's maybe a bad habit, but like I like to listen to things even though I'm not listening when I'm falling asleep. So, I'll put on, I might have Law and Order on the television because it just knocks me out. It, you know, I, they probably don't like to hear that, but And then there,
0: what happens um, when if you wake up? Doesn't it wake you up? No, because you,
1: you can set the auto it auto. Oh, so turns it turns it off, it off. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: So, anybody listening, do not take this advice from Mark <laughs> yeah, Cuba, no, okay? It's, you can it's take horrible. a lot of other advice, but it's not a, sleeping with your TV. A, TV on.
1: No, it's a, it's a mistake. <laughs> it's just, you know. And
0: Especially think, if you don't have the feature that turns right, it off, to turn it or off. you don't know. How to use don't, it, which I don't likely, know, how yeah, how to more use likely, it.
1: <laughs> but no, but it, it's just because I think it's an old habit that I just haven't gotten rid of. Where when my mind was racing so much and I needed to turn off and couldn't, it was a distraction, right? You know, when, when I was thinking about work all the time, if there's something else on just that to distract, could occupy, you. yeah, that, that would occupy me, I would do it. And now it, it's a habit, and
0: but you have it through um, headphones. headphones, yeah, yeah, otherwise you would be divorced, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly right.
0: I was actually just having lunch with um, a girlfriend uh, who was telling me how they, she and her husband, wake each other up, you know, through um, intermittent snoring. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I, I, I'm kind of an advocate for couples occasionally sleeping apart. I think it's very uh, European, maybe because I'm Greek. That people yeah. feel it's okay it doesn't mean you don't love each other. No, or you're not I'm, having sex, you know. Sometimes well, you got to do what works for you. Yeah.
1: I mean, I like to touch, feel my wife's skin, even just my leg bumping against her. Right. That just kind of calms me and, down. Mm-hmm. You know. Um But I can see it, and you know, I travel enough that I probably get. I if if I didn't travel at all, I mean, she probably. Go crazy with me being there all the time. Right, but, but
0: because you're, you're I, on the road. So right, much.
1: so if I'm on the road a couple of days, you know, every couple of weeks, then that gives me a break to sleep and I take advantage of it. Because with a seven year old, they're running in and. <laughs> you know, Dad, get up, da 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 da, and so it's 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 more of that than anything else.
0: So, what's your number? How many hours sleep um, do you need to feel like the best Mark Cuban in the world? I'd
1: say six is enough, is just enough, and eight's too much.
0: So seven is yeah, seven,
1: seven, in, yeah, yeah, somewhere in there, and I'm fine.
0: Yeah. So again, unless you have a genetic mutation, which right. about one and a half percent of the population has, is that its, what it is? And uh, no, genetic mutation is three to four hours, and you're good. Yeah. But that's a tiny Michael percentage. Jordan. Michael Jordan. Michael
1: Jordan never had to sleep. It yeah. Was, I hated it. But that's
0: him. a tiny percentage right. of the population. Right. The rest of us, 7 to 9. So you have to find your magic number. Uh, yeah, there. I
1: agree. And and once you know, and, and plus, I, I have no problem, particularly if I'm traveling, um, taking a nap, if I get a break or, you know, if I can schedule a break, I have... I, I'm good with taking a nap, and, you know, if I need to catch up on my sleep on the weekend because there's something going on, I have no problem doing that. Right. I, I mean, yeah, I, I respect the sleep.
0: <laughs> well, naps are good for Winston Churchill.
1: Hey, it feels good you for Churchill. He won the Second Churchill,
0: World War, so he called them power naps.
1: Yep. And I don't know if it gives me any special powers or power, but… You know, you and I have discussed it before. It, feeling confident, feeling rested, that makes me more effective. Exactly. You know, because once it's like it, it's like a sport, you know, if you feel like the other person's faster, you know, if you feel like you're not quite ready, your game's not 100 percent, you know, you know it, you know. And once you know it, then whoever you're working with figures it out very quickly as well. And you're at a disadvantage. And so I've always looked at. Now, it didn't always work that way you know and and there were times when you'd be you're exhausted and there's things you have to get done and we've all pulled all nighters but there I'm always a lot better off and always a lot more successful when when I'm feeling rested because you just you you just feel a lot more invincible
0: that's something very new and you see it among athletes right where mm-hmm. they are now prioritizing oh, yeah. sleep and uh, taking care of themselves in a way Without which question. is relatively new
1: the Dallas Mavericks have tried to do it for a while where you know because everybody, we're all in our jobs, creatures of habit to a certain extent. And if your blo- body clock gets set a certain way, when there are changes, you need to recognize, you need to adapt, you know? So, you know, there's times when, you know, you have to be somewhere at five thirty in the morning or, and your body's not going to be responsive to that unless you prepare for it. And it's hard to go to bed early. And so, you know, we, at the Mavs, if we have a day game, we completely change everybody's schedule so that, you know, their body feels different mm-hmm. because otherwise it automatically falls into old habits, you know, and it has expectations. And so you have to adapt to your own circadian cycle. But, you you know, knowing that there's going to be a change, we have programs that help their bodies adjust sooner rather than later. Because the last thing you need to be is lethargic when you're trying to play a professional yeah. basketball game.
0: And of course, you're also helping them acquire better sleep habits and do you also teach them to meditate?
1: Not meditation, because that, that gets to be too personal. Right. right? So we do have um, team psychologists who is there full-time that can work with them. And, and we kind of gear it towards what's it take to be a professional, right? How do you, how do you prepare your mind? How do you uh, prepare for the amount of work involved, prepare for the stress and the physical aspect of it? So we try to coach their minds and, and their ability to be prepared as much as we coach their skills.
0: That's great. And are they all open to that? Or do oh, yeah. You get, oh, yeah. You don't get any resistance. No, in
1: early days we did because we were one of the first to try so how it. How long ago? Oh, we're talking 2001.
0: Wow, that was really
1: right. early on. Yeah, so we we had our first team psychologist in two thousand three, I think it was, and so we brought in two thousand one, right after I took over the team. We brought in nutritionists, we brought in someone to do sleep science um, and work on our circadian rhythms, and it becomes a checklist item, right? It becomes commonplace. Then it gets a lot easier, and as you know, since it's part of the professionalism program that we introduce with our players when they come to the team, you know, they know it going in and the, and they plan for it.
0: You now hear more and more players, you know, Kobe Bryant mm-hmm. and Andre Uguidola, who actually talk about it. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's become a way to encourage others by realizing that there's a connection between well-being and performance.
1: No question. I mean, Kobe obviously has, has an amazing platform, and Iggy is, is kind of a geek at heart, too, and is trying to do more. You know, one of the great things about the NBA is our athletes really use social media to help educate and innovate with their fans and to encourage their fans and the things that they learn as part of their jobs, um, being able to convey that to their fans is, is a great thing. And so, you know, Kobe's done it for, for years now. Um, one of our guys, Harrison Barnes, is is very big on, on sleep science and helping and resting and all those types of things. So he uses it himself. He's got his own program, and he's shared it with others. So
0: Oh, it, we'd love to have him you know, write yeah, on I'll, I'll, I'll For talk Thrive. Him for yes, sure. we did um, um, a whole video series with Andre with uh-huh. Udala. In fact, what is interesting, you said that they encourage their fans to adopt better practices, but what I found is that they also... um validate these practices for business executives. Without question. We were at a um, conference once with Andre Guidalla, and he and I did a a conversation on sleep, and he put up his stats Mm -hmm. that showed the correlation between sleep and recharging and his numbers. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had never seen a room of CEOs go so silent. really, Because there was nothing more convincing to them the numbers, you know, this was not some kind of yoga journal, self-benefit. This was hardcore.
1: Right. No. And, you know, creating your own personal benchmarks is very important to me. So, you know, I've got um, the Fitbits and I've tried all the different fitness watches or whatever you want to call them to track my sleep. And so I've I've actually used the Microsoft one a little bit more because I think it does a little bit of, better job because I just wanted to get a sense of how much am I really sleeping and because it tracks movement, it, it also lets you know when you're being restless and everything and that's really hard to know. And so, you know, that's, that's been very valuable to me and, you know, I get my blood tested every three to six months and everything, get blood labs. So, you know, over the years, I've been able to really create a benchmark for myself and and it's been important. It's helped me, you know, get into shape and, you know, between sleep, eating, workouts, work habits you know you get a sense of really what makes you feel good and i you know i think that self-realization or self-actualization is going to be more and more important you know because the the better you can understand yourself the better you can be
0: okay we're now going to take a quick break to share a sleep tip brought to you by our sponsor sleep number because a good sleep routine is the foundation for thriving Today's sleep tip is to read before bed, but something not on a screen and something that has nothing to do with work. Read a chapter from a classic novel, a poem, an article in a magazine, or something from a history book. Letting ourselves get drawn into a narrative helps us transition from our day-to-day projects and worries. In fact, studies have shown that reading for as few as six minutes releases stress and tension in our bodies. Thanks again to our friends at Sleep Number. Discover the Sleep Number bed with Sleep IQ technology at sleepnumber.com slash thrive. You're a sort of guru on Shark Tank, and you teach a lot. You know, we're just talking about
1: today with the producers. You know, we ask about numbers all the time. But when I look at the deals that I've done um, on Shark Tank, really the, the personal habits and the focus of the entrepreneurs you know I invested in them because they have a good business their ability to focus and execute is far more important mm-hmm. and you know they all go hand in hand and, and we've got to do I've got to do a better job of asking questions on the show about you know how do you take care of yourself you know how do you treat people how do you work right what are the qualitative aspects of your your business and personal life within reason obviously um, that allow me to make a better decision as an investor. And so oh, no, that would be great. Yeah, and it could be great
0: to see that also even with public companies. You know, a CEO who is perpetually run down isn't going to make the best decisions for shareholders. No, and you know what? <laughs> and
1: it's funny because there, there's there's that balance between privacy and trying to make the right investment. And and you're going to have to share some of your questions with me because mm-hmm. I'll use them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. I want
1: every edge I can get. And well, I'm, I'm yeah. going to say, this goes from Ariana. And she
0: said, <laughs> Well, if you think of it, um, we have the data now that 75% of startups fail. Mm-hmm. In at China, least. where you and I were at this uh, forum, forum over the weekend, the number is 80%. So clearly, all these entrepreneurs were staying up all night and uh, burning the midnight oil all the time. I mean, we yep. all have to do it occasionally, right. thinking that that's the way to succeed. I'm making some bad decisions along the way.
1: No question. Look, I can tell you from my first business that I wasn't as efficient as I could have been. And I probably could have gotten bigger and, and been more successful if I would have been a little bit more aware of, of the the impact I was having on my brain, body, and and soul, <laughs> you know. but. You know, you you go through the process, and we are getting smarter, and that's why, you know, what you're doing here with Thrive and being on the podcast, we all learn. I come not to to communicate. I come to learn. I come to get some of that Ariana (laughs) vibe.
0: Well, it's interesting how we all learn from each other, but one of the stories that I love that you tell is how how you learned from an early boss— um, you had a PC software firm? Right. Micro Solutions. Uh, That's yeah. right. That was that. And he, he was a kind of reverse mentor, which put right. you on a better path. So tell right. us the story.
1: Oh, my goodness. So many stories with him. Um, so I had two bosses that I learned so much from because of how bad they were. <laughs> I started a company, Micro Solutions, and right before that, I worked for a company, Your Business Software, where I sold software, and I got fired. And I got fired because he wanted me to open up the store. It was a software retail store. I had to sweep the floor, make sure the windows were clean, make sure the store was open on time. And I had a big deal I wanted to close. And I thought, okay, I'm going to let Michael, his name was Michael, know that um, I've got everything taken care of. Someone's watching my shift, if you will, and I'm going to go pick up a $10,000 check. I figured when I came back, he'd be thrilled to death, right? Fired me on the spot. And you know, and, and you think back and the things I learned from him prior to that, literally back then I was buying clothes from a, a used clothing store because they had used polos that they would redo. And my suits were two for $99 polyester <laughs> suits. You didn't have to dry clean them, right? You just ran through the rain a few <laughs> times. And... Um, I remember him saying, you know, well, you need to dress up and this is where you can buy some nice suits. And if you wear glasses, but he he was more interested in the show and he would never go on sales Mm. calls, you know, and it was there. I learned that sales cures all. There's never been a company that succeeded without sales. And, you know, just time after time again, that the companies I worked for that didn't do well, um, they didn't focus on the results that mattered to the business. They focused on how well they looked or, you know, the show rather than the go. And I'm glad I learned those lessons early.
0: And also it's great how much you learn from failures.
1: Yes. I mean, I've, yeah. I, one of my favorite saying is it doesn't matter how many times you fail, you just have to be right once. Then everybody can call you an overnight success. And, you know, I've I've failed a company that sold powdered milk. I've failed you know, <laughs> the jobs I've gotten fired from. Um, it, you know, and, and all those were learning experiences, and you know, and, and it goes to the heart of, you know, kids who are graduating today, you know, they, they ask about jobs and things they should do and everything. And I always like to tell them, you know, whatever, you don't have to get the perfect job when you're 22, 23, 24, you know, there's, there's no such thing as failure. Whatever job you take, you're getting paid to learn mm-hmm. and you just spend however many years paying to go to school and you paid a lot of money, probably still own money take that job. You're going to get paid to learn. And like, if it was like my experience where I learned what not to do and I was getting paid, it was still well worth it. And so, you know, and I also tell kids, I I truly believe each and every one of us is really good at something, right? The hard part is finding out what that is and going through all the different, kissing all the frogs before you find the prince of the job, right? I think you have to try to, and experience as many things as you can. And once you get there, you know, then try to be as good as you can at it because, you know, like I I was never into technology in college. I mean, I took one computer class and cheated at it. And (laughs) when I got one of my first jobs out of school using technology, I was like, wait, you know, I love this. I I mean, I taught myself the program, you know, I, I could go, seven hours, eight hours without taking a break thinking it was 10 minutes because I was concentrating so hard and so excited and really loved it, you know. And that's when I realized that I I, I could be really, really good at technology. And like to this day, um, you know, like at the conference, we were talking about artificial intelligence and and deep learning and machine learning. And and those are all brand new. And so I'm taking a a class on my phone on Python, teaching my, updating my programming (sighs) skills. I'm reading... You know, machine learning for dummies, and I've got this other <laughs> course book that I'm taking because I have to learn. You know, and to me, lifelong learning is probably the greatest mm-hmm. skill. And I know you think the same way that you can ever have.
0: But you read a lot generally, yeah. right? Yeah. So what are, is that? What you're reading right now? That's are you exactly. reading anything for fun, or that's what you're reading? That's for what fun. I read for fun. Yeah,
1: <laughs> um, I get excited about it because. The cool part about technology is we're here and then someone comes up with something new and then the the people who created it know it, but everybody else starts at the exact same spot. You know, whatever it is that's new, that's invented, unless it's yours, you're starting the same place. So if I just put in the effort, you know, I can learn it. And now with artificial intelligence and all its derivatives being so important, and the more I understand it, the, the more excited I get about it. And, you know, the good news of having had the level of success I have is obvious, but the bad side is I kind of lost that piss and vinegar because I can think of 50 businesses I could start right now based on all this, but I don't want to give up time at home and, and all that. So that's kind of the trade-off.
0: But also, you've always believed and talked about how, the key to life is how wisely you use your time.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's the most valuable asset you have.
0: Kind of, it's the only thing that's uh, that's not an infinitely exactly, renewable resource.
1: Yeah, you, you can't buy it, you can't find it, you can't store it, you know, you can't trade it. Um, and, you know, I've always looked at it from the perspective that, you know, I gave up a lot personally early on to try to accomplish my goals knowing that if I ever reached the level of success even close to where I ended up I was just going to have fun you know I I tell the story about after selling my first company buying a lifetime pass on American Airlines and retiring it at 30 basically just so I could go party like a madman now (laughs) you know at 30 that was my goal you know my goal how long did it last um four years
0: Four years—that's quite long. Oh, uh, yeah,
1: it was it yeah. was fun. Yeah,
0: <laughs> you, you were done at thirty-four. Uh,
1: no, <laughs> and, and, but actually, yeah, um, that's when we started um, AudioNet, which turned into Broadcast.com because the internet, the whole whole internet thing happened, and we saw the opportunity was streaming, and no one was doing streaming at the time. And it, w- you know, it was one of those things where if we if we did it right, we it was going to be incredibly successful. We recognized that, and and it worked out. But once I sold Broadcast. Um, You know, I had the money, and and I was grateful for it, but what made me lucky was that I could spend time the way I wanted to, and I could start working on relationships, I could start a family, because that's when I could focus on it. I'm the old dad now, but having the time just to be able to to enjoy my time, enjoy my time with my family, there's nothing more valuable. It's it's the best reward.
0: That's what concerns me about the amount of time that's spent on social media. Um, or playing Candy Crush or, you know, these things that you can start and, and then you don't know how many hours pass. Not, right. not as you described earlier, coding or right, doing right. something that could productive, lead to something yeah. productive, but just literally losing yourself.
1: Well, you know, when you think about that, we talk, my wife and I talk about that with our kids. So on, on one hand, I try to analogize it to someone playing solitaire, right, or, you know, the board games that we used to spend hours. I remember I'd play Yahtzee. Right, just to kill time or teach myself piano or guitar, which seems effective, but I didn't get anywhere with it. It But that's
0: different, don't you think? Because that's what I don't know. That's what I'm I'll tell you why I think it's different, just based on the neuroscience Mm -hmm. that I've read. Um, that it's it's a little bit like um, somebody described it like a, the bottomless bowl of soup, you know, when you keep eating and you don't you don't know when you're satiated because more soup appears.
1: Right, and it's the same repetitive. It's thing. It's the you're same not, repetitive
0: thing, and you don't know everything is programmed or not a play. Right, you know, Netflix, YouTube. No, and, and I agree there. I
1: mean, it's like like I said with my kids. You know, my son will watch Minecraft videos. Now, on one hand, getting better at Minecraft, which can be intellectually stimulating and and a learning tool, is great. But watching these videos over and over and over again, we had to put time limits on it. And like we do with all of our kids, in order to do this, you have to earn it. And, you know, I'm I'm not going to lie. I paid my son $150 to not watch those videos for two months but he can earn, if you watch math videos or did math problems for me, he could earn time to watch Minecraft videos.
0: Wow, it's really quite an operation being <laughs> your son. <laughs> it really is.
1: The, you know. I, I've got, you know, it, it, sometimes it drives, drives them crazy, but it's like, you know. You should
0: I, do a book about it. At least you no, can help other parents. I don't know if it's
1: helpful or hurtful. <laughs> I'm but sure it's trying. very helpful. It's sort of, it really
0: makes us aware of the fact that we've entered uh, unknown territory. Yeah,
1: it's it's new We don't really know (laughs) know, how this
0: is going to turn out. (laughs) But I
1: I keep on telling them, you know, I just want to challenge them and and try to get them to learn. But the hard part is getting them to read. Like, I love to read the newspaper. I saw my dad read the newspaper. You know, my mom read the newspaper. And it became a normal course of keeping up with things. You know, now my daughter tries to say, you know, discovery on Snapchat is keeping up. And look, I'm on Snapchat. I get to see the discover, Right. It's not the same. You know, it's it, it's okay way to keep up, but um, you know, trying to get them to engage and learn more outside of school is a challenge. Now, it, it's that way for every 13-year-old, regardless of, of what decade you live in or were born in, but um, trying to push them in that direction, there's no easy solution.
0: But I really believe that um, teenagers are looking for these messages. We just need to find a way to give them to them that's not didactic and eat your broccoli. So we did actually a day on Discover, on Snapchat Discover Uh called Recharge, Uh which gave these messages of sleep, recharging, taking care of yourself. But we did it in a fun, sexy way. Uh The interest is there. And a lot of teenagers and college kids realize that there's something wrong when they're waking up
1: exhausted every morning i mean my 13 year old it's a constant battle you know get to bed get to sleep you know and look 13 year olds 10 years ago 20 years ago 100 years ago had their own version of the same thing talking on the phone all night and everything but um you know it's still for parents it's a never ending fight. And there
0: weren't a thousand Facebook or Snap engineers at the other right, end of the world trying to get you addicted. That's, that's, that's the difference. That's the difference, the big difference. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. So I tried to find a way to bring in Donald Trump into a Thrive podcast. It was right? a little hard, but I, here, here's my bridge. Here's my segue. Uh, okay. This man doesn't sleep. No, he doesn't. And it shows. <laughs> and it shows. And he wakes up in the middle of the night and tweets things which part of he must regret in the morning. Oh, I don't think hope. he does.
1: I, don't, I really don't think he does.
0: <laughs> well, maybe one day he will. But yeah. the bottom line is that clearly you see the impact on him, you know, visually as Did well as in AP terms inter- of his actions. Did yes, his the interview? Interview. That,
1: That's the perfect example yeah. of what you're saying. Exactly. You know, where he can't complete a, a sentence or he can't finish a thought or when he does veer off, he doesn't remember where he left off. I mean that's the ultimate telltale. So sign. that's kind
0: of the cautionary tale, right? Yes. For our children. Maybe we should <laughs> do a discover. Yeah, be day. careful. Don't sleep or
1: you might be president. <laughs> I don't know. It's gonna be <laughs> I
0: know, it's a bit of a it's Back a bit come. of a difficult message yeah. to put across. But tell us a little bit about your story of with Trump.
1: Oh, you know, <laughs> goodness, where to start? Um, it started probably 2004. I had a TV show on ABC called The Benefactor, which didn't do so well. When I first got picked for the show, Donald Trump reached out to me and I didn't know him and said, congratulations, I hope you do well. And then as the show went on, it was like, he he literally sent me a a letter after the show got canceled saying, see, I knew it would be horrible. (laughs) I'm glad (laughs) it's canceled. I'm like, Okay. Um. What, no, I'm wrong. Okay, the first time I met him it was even better. January 2000 Super Bowl, and he was having a party at Mar Lago. And this was right after um, Broadcast.com had gone public. And it was the largest IPO first day jump in the history of the stock market. And so I was there with um, Jerry Yang from Yahoo, somebody from Visa, uh, executive vice president, somebody from Visa. And have you ever been to Mar-a-Lago? No, okay, never. Okay, so it's beautiful. They're,
0: I'm not likely to be. I <laughs> yeah,
1: I, yeah, I a, It's actually beautiful. It was nice. I was impressed. But um, so you can see out to the water. There's a pool there. And there's a veranda up top where they have tables and people are reading. Now, at this party, he had all kinds of Hawaiian tropic models and sequin dresses. It was it was a scene. Um, but he came up to us and didn't know who I was. But, you know, he was being a host and he was walking around introducing himself to everybody there. Hi, I'm Donald. Hi, I'm Mark. Hey, I'm Jerry. And he goes, Mark, it's nice to meet you. You know, someday you'll be able to sit up there with the rich people.
0: Oh, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I've got people there who saw it. And, 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 and so, but I, I just gave him a hard time. So when he connected with me afterwards, I started giving him a hard time about saying that. And then he invited me to his office after that, and we talked technology, which he didn't understand. So we got some other folks in there. But long story short, 2004 sent me that letter. Um, then 2007, he was working on an MMA um, promotion with the Russians. And with Access TV, we were doing and still doing a lot of MMA-type programming. And so we broadcast that event for him, and so we got to know each other, and we were friends again. And then fast forward again to the election, when he first came on the scene and announced – You know, I said I didn't agree with his positions, but, you know, he was refreshing. He was the best thing that happened to politics in a long time because he spoke his mind. He wasn't a Stepford candidate, he was very unfiltered. And I thought that was going to be very valuable. Kind of went in a different direction, but I said that, and he put that quote, and one of my quotes, on his book. That he released. And so we were friends again. And so he would call me. um, I would email him information. Now, with Donald, you know, you email one of his assistants, they print it out, he sees it, he writes on it a response, they scan it, and then they email it back to you. And so that was kind of the the efficiency factor there, but, um, so we were friends for a while and I also was not a fan of Ted Cruz. So I would tell him, you know, here's what I think he would ask me some questions. We would talk some about technology or he'd ask me some things about technology and we, we were going along fine. And I said, look, I, I don't, again, I continue to afford, tell him that I don't agree with his policies, but I think Ted Cruz would be even worse because Ted Cruz was kind of an ideologue, but he's also really, really smart and he could probably figure out how to get a lot of things that I thought weren't positive done. And I told Donald that. So then, you know, and he would talk about how, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I've got the evangelicals helping me. I think this can happen and that can happen and um, we'll see. But he, I don't think he really thought he was going to win. But then he got nominated, right? He made it through the, the primaries and was the um, Republican nominee. And I said to him that at some time, Donald, you have to learn the issues, well, it went downhill from there. <laughs> yeah, so and I then I went on TV and said that, and I got an email from him saying, "What happened?" And I'm like, "What happened is just what I told you. Mm-hmm. At some point, you have to learn the issues." And you know, and then I started talking to some folks that I knew that worked for Secretary Clinton, and it wasn't that I agreed with a lot of her policies. There's, I mean, I'm an independent. There's a lot of things, particularly on the economic side, that I didn't agree with at all. But I, uh, she's smart, you know. And so when I told Donald that as well, it. That, is it. Yeah, that was it, yeah. But, uh, you know, there's still hope. Look, I, is he doing a good job? I think economically, there's still things I agree with. I mean, you know, within reason, lower taxes, you know, um, reducing bureaucracy, I think is a good point, Making, trying to make the government more efficient. You know, the things he's doing with the FTC on licensing in particular, where, like in the state of Louisiana, you have to you know, wash hair for Sixty hours or something ridiculous before you're allowed to get a job as a shampooer, which it's crazy stuff, right? So his FTC is is working to get rid of that. So on the economic side, it's great, you know. On the military side, on on the social issue side, it's it's it hasn't been so great, you know.
0: But what is interesting is that last May, Chris Lisa of the Washington Post wrote a piece with a headline, Why Mark Cuban for President Makes a Lot of Sense. And then in February, at, at an NBA All-Star Celebrity yeah, Game, <laughs> you wore a jersey with a certain number on it, the number 46.
1: I have to say, though, that wasn't my idea, but it was such a good idea, <laughs> I glommed onto it.
0: Just in case you decide to run, uh-huh. can we talk about it?
1: Oh, yeah. If I ever decide... Yeah, we, we, I'll talk to everybody about it, trust me. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay,
0: because we'd like to be and, and a podcast on which you come to talk about it and talk about how you can run without um, yourself. driving yourself into the ground and yeah. making bad decisions and tweeting stupid things.
1: Yeah, trust me, that, that would not be me. I'm not oblivious to life like some people.
0: <laughs> well, Mark, thank you so much right, for being here. That was really great. Uh, Thank you for being our guest, thank and you. thank you for all you're doing and all That's the knowledge and wisdom you're and same spreading.
1: same to you. Same to you. Thank you.
0: So, for everyone listening, be sure to subscribe to the Thrive Global podcast with iHeartRadio or in your favorite podcast app, and stay tuned to ThriveGlobal.com and iHeartRadio. We want to hear from you. Please email us at podcast at thriveglobal.com or reach out on social media using the hashtag Thrive Podcast. And tell us who you'd like to hear from and what are your favorite life hacks. Until next time, be well and thrive. The Thrive Global Podcast is brought to you by Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number bed, you can adjust the bed on each side so both you and your partner can experience your best sleep. And with Sleep IQ technology, you'll know how you slept. Does your bed do that? Check out the beds at sleepnumber.com thrive. And of course, don't forget to turn off your devices before you tuck in. Audiation